love answering questions um, from, you know, from you guys because these are raw. These are like raw, real questions, um, and they all mean something. So <clears throat> first question is, what is the right amount of time to practice as an associate before opening up your own practice? That's a great question. So the answer is, it depends. Um, I don't think there's a right amount of time. I think there's a right amount of confidence. You've got to feel the confidence um, in yourself and in your abilities in order to open up your own practice. Um, and the way, to me, the, the best way to gain that confidence is not by, it's not amount of time, it's what you do during that time. So uh, one, one of the things I can only recommend just because of what my own upbringing um, is I, I was raised uh, with a poverty consciousness, as uh, many people are, and totally accidentally, my parents were lovely people, but they didn't come from much, uh, and I always got the comment, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, and what do you think I own the electric company, and all these other you know, little digs about money and stuff. So when I graduated from life, my thought process was how on earth am I going to make it as a chiropractor on my own if I come from nothing? Um, and I had to change that mindset, and the way I changed that mindset um, was I started reading books like Think and Grow Rich. Like I, I read books like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I, I, I started listening to Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and Wayne Dyer. And I just started putting all this powerful, positive stuff into my brain all the time to change my thoughts, to change my thoughts. So, that, so how much time should you spend as a, in an associate is enough time to get your thoughts changed. So, uh, so that would be my answer for that. <clears throat> Number one. Number two. <laughs> Who's my favorite intern? Okay, so... <laughs> I don't have a favorite intern. Uh, but sometime early next year, I'll be graduating my 100th intern, which is super fun. Yes. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> slightest. <laughs> um, and... Um, which is amazing. I, I've started taking interns since 2010. And um, so I can't say I have a favorite intern because uh, they've all been really incredible. Uh, but I will tell you about the first intern because she, she was the one who started it all. Um, it was 2010 and I had no desire to have interns in my office. And, I, um, and she came up, I was teaching this class. It was the first time I taught this class. And she came up to me and she said, Dr. Ruben, I want to be your intern. I said, I don't want you as my intern. And she said, well, I want to be your intern. I said, I don't want interns. I'm not interested. She said, I'm going to be your intern. And to talk about persistence, the entire quarter, she bugged me, bugged me, bugged me, bugged me. I finally said, oh, God, fine, fine. You can be my intern. I'll do this one quarter with just you, and then I'll never do this again. And after having her in my office, she, just for a few weeks, I was like, this is really good. Uh, so, um, so I will always be an, uh, forever grateful to her because um, she really changed my thought processes. But I changed, but because of her also, not only do I have interns, but I changed how I train them. Uh, she, so she helped me tremendously in how I work with them. Okay. So um, how do you deal with or adjust people that come into your office in a wheelchair? So the, uh, that's a great question. First off, if someone comes into my office in a wheelchair, the number one most important thing is I need to have films. I want films of the whole spine. So I will not touch that person uh, unless that I have films. 
Uh, and generally speaking, I will not take films of someone who's in a wheelchair myself, even though I do have x-ray on, on site, because someone in a wheelchair, what kind of films, what, how you take films of them? Okay. We're coming, they gotta be lying down. And, I, and my machine's like this, so that won't work. So I send them to a little local children's hospital here in Atlanta, it's Choa, but you send them wherever you can. Um, so that's the first thing. Just to rule out, is there anything else going on that I need to know? That's number one. Then number two is, once I rule out what's going on, especially since I use activator, I'll adjust them seated right in their chair, if, if we have to. Because um, some, some of them, that you can't even, they're so, they're, they have, some of them have such hypotonia that they'll just kind of melt like a jellyfish if you try to sit them. And some of them, if you lie them, uh, people in a wheelchair, if you lie them face down, they won't be able to breathe because they're, they're, they're so weak in their abdominal muscles. So a lot of times I'll sit them right in their chair, adjust them. Uh, I'll start off with some sustained contact stuff or I'll use activator. Um, and we've seen some amazing results. As an example, um, it was unfortunately not in the area anymore, but um, about a year ago, we had a kiddo. He was, an, and I mentioned this kid to you before, a nine-year-old boy who wasn't walking. And in six months, he was walking. And he came in in a wheelchair. Um, so, uh, but the first thing that we did is we got, we got films, made sure nothing else was going on. We started adjusting him in his chair. Uh, after the first re-exam, we put him, started going face down, um, started using activator with him. And uh, I encouraged the mom to do all kinds of exercise with him. And when I, the last time I saw him, he was taking his first steps in my office. Um, so it's, it's a great, great thing. Good question. Number two. Uh, how do you explain to parents the reason why babies might cry during an adjustment for them to be okay with that? So uh, babies might cry during an adjustment because they don't know what's going on. Um, and they, uh, they want to be in mommy or daddy's arms, so which is why I generally try to keep them there as much as we can. But sometimes, you know, they might be a little confused as to why mommy or daddy is holding them in this peculiar way or why they're we're doing certain things. So babies, because our adjustments in my office are not forceful adjustments. So if you have a more traditional office, you better explain to the parents that baby's gonna cry when you do you know, an osseous adjustment because of noise, for sure. Um, so that has to be explained. But, if, but otherwise, baby, sometimes babies will cry if you put them on their backs because their bellies hurt. So you have a kid with colic or reflux, and you put them on their back, that might cause them to cry because um, it, it gives them like more indigestion kind of stuff. So those kids, um, in those cases, sometimes we don't even put them on their backs. We just say, fine, you don't want to lie on your back, that's fine. I could do your cranium, I could do every adjustment with you seated, it doesn't matter to me. Good question. Um, next question, what is a good percent as an associate or a salary? Example, I just tend people daily and I get profits from, uh, okay. Very good question. So it depends on what country you're in. Um, but in this country, in this country, uh, in this country, it's called fee splitting. You can't do that. So you cannot take a percentage of like, I see 100 patients a week and I get this amount of money. That will not fly. That will not fly and God forbid anybody ever, if like, chances of it being ever somehow brought up in court is minimal. But if it ever is brought up in court, that's illegal as fraud, as fee splitting, and that's like this is what like problems with that's like gambling, right? You can't gamble like that. Um, so in, in so what we recommend is <clears throat> to have bonuses not based on you know uh, about the number of people you see, 
but based on either the amount of time you spend or the amount of um, like income you make over a certain amount, right? So if you have like say you know, your base salary is let's say ten thousand a month, well, and you make twenty thousand a month, well, you're getting a, a bonus based upon the above amount, not the actual amount that's made, but the above amount. That's not no longer fee splitting. Now it's a lot safer, or it's the amount of time. So if you're working in the office and you work, you're seeing a hundred people in a week, and that takes you thirty hours to do, well, you get a bonus because you've been in the office 30 hours instead of 20 hours. And I don't mean just sitting in the office going, I mean actually adjusting, like they, they actually will measure the time that you're actually physically with people. That's a much safer you know, way of doing it. And in terms of what is a good um, a, a, a salary, it once again depends on where you, know, where you are. Um, but a lot of people want like really big salaries when they graduate, but honestly, most chiropractors are reluctant to give you a big salary until you prove yourself, right? So we had a couple of, of uh, interns that said, well, I, I, I should be getting $80,000 a year. I'm like, are you gonna bring in $80,000? In order for you to get $80,000 a year, you know what that means to a doctor? You're gonna bring in $160,000 to my office. Until you prove that you're gonna bring 160K into my office, I ain't giving you $80,000. Um, so that's why most starting salaries are like in the 50,000 range because that's a reasonable thing for you to expect um, and from there you can grow based upon bonuses on productivity you prove how valuable you are that doctor is going to pay you whatever you want but you got to prove it first and just to say well because just to say like I'm going to be the greatest associate you ever had and then you sit up <coughs> on your laurels and do nothing <coughs> Or, or the, the practice stays the same. Like to have an associate where the practice doesn't grow, well, then you're a waste of time, right? So if, I, if, I, if the second doctor is going to be in the office, I better see productivity to equal having a second doctor there. So that's why associateships are, there's a lot of rotation out of this because a lot of people say, I'm going to be the best associate ever, and then they just keep maintaining the practice. That's not the point of an associateship. The point of an associateship is you should grow the practice so that you're ready to grow your own practice when you get out. It's not to just keep on doing whatever the doc is doing, it's to make it even better. Uh, and, and that's why to me, like bringing pediatrics into a, a practice is great because most offices aren't and what you can offer, I'm gonna bring kids into your practice. So all the adults that are here now, I'm gonna ask all of them, do you have kids? Yeah, well let's see them and I'm gonna double and triple your practice because all the people who are here now, I'm gonna bring in all their kids, right? So, excellent questions. Well done. Um, okay, uh, next question. <clears throat> How do you describe the general tone of your communication with families, the challenging talks that require more responsibility on their end? So, that's a, that's a really good question. So, the, the, the general tone of my communication is it's very upfront in the beginning. So, what I tell people is, um, first off, my care plans are long. For most kids, it's like six months-ish. Uh, for most kids on the spectrum, it's gonna be six months minimum. And I, I'm very upfront with them, don't expect anything in the beginning. That's why we do re-exams every 10 visits to see and, uh, how is that particular child doing. So we're very, very clear on expectations, right? Because I, the biggest problem that I see with communication is wrong expectations. So. Uh, what a lot of people, like a lot of people expect results like this, and you tell them that's not going to happen, 
then, it, then they're not expecting it. But here's a really a big thing, and I see, I've seen this a lot with interns too, is sometimes even after at the first re-exam, which is 10 visits in our office, the patient will, will tell the intern who's doing the like, history, um, we're not seeing anything different. And we're kind of upset about that. And I say, don't worry about it. Watch what happens. And then we do our exam, and we see, look, their print reflexes are better, their eyes are better, their balance is better, their core is better. And I say, isn't this great that they're doing so much better? And you get the parents in 20 minutes to say, wow, I'm so glad we're here. The kid, our kid is doing so much better, who is about to like quit the practice. But you didn't pay attention to that, right? I didn't even talk to that. There was not a conversation about that. I'm like, let me sh- let's show you the data. Because when the data shows there's improvement, then there's improvement. It's not based on how the kid is feeling. I love this statement. It's not based on how they're feeling. It's how they're healing. Right? <clears throat> good. This is good. Okay. <laughs> what am I doing over break? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> nothing much. <laughs> nothing much. That's, I'm going to really enjoy doing nothing much um, after having a very busy uh, last quarter. Um, what's the best detox protocol for infants after vaccines? Getting adjusted. The best thing for a kid uh, to, after a vaccine is to get adjusted. If they're breastfeeding, breastfeed a lot. Um, if they're not breastfeeding, oh well. Um, and also depending upon the age of the kid, um, if they're, uh, if they're b- below one, there's not much really else you're gonna do. Um, but if they're above one, you might suggest, like we talked about garlic, um, as an antibacterial, antiviral to strengthen their immune system, maybe a little vitamin C. When looking over a contract, what are some red flags I should be aware of? Great question. All right. <clears throat> so when looking over an associate contract, the number one most important thing you need is an escape clause. It's called escape clause. You do not want to be locked into to an associate place if you don't want to be there, right? And I don't care how great everything is and whatever's going on, you want to be able to get out instantaneously if, A, that the doctor is doing something illegal, right? Uh, I had an intern call me a couple of years ago and say, uh, I just found out that my doctor is doing illegal billing and he is like sending off insurance things when patients aren't even coming and I want to get the hell out. I said, do you have an escape clause? She said, yeah, you told me to get one. I said, well, then just enact it. Just write your escape clause, and you can get out at any time for any reason. Um, now, but that's only in extreme cases. Like, in an extreme situation, you're allowed to do that with an escape clause. Um, most escape clauses will give you, like, a 30-day or, or two-week uh, escape, you know, time. <coughs> um, some of them will be longer. But you got, here's another example. As we had an associate a few quarters ago, uh, show me a contract and it said you have a three-year contract and there's no and the doctor can fire you at any time but you can't get out at any time you have to wait for three years i'm like what else if you hate this i said you got to change that and she got the person to change it and now she has the she's been happy with it thankfully but now she has an escape clause so that is the single most important thing to have is you got to have a way out um, if you don't like it there's no reason to be stuck in it um, another crazy thing that i've seen <coughs> as a bad contract is that some doctors, because most of my interns will send me their associate contracts, some doctors uh, actually say you have to pay to leave. 
You actually have to pay. Like if you're supposed to be in the office for a year and you're going to leave before a year, you're going to pay some prorated amount. I'm like, that's baloney. There, you don't pay nothing. When you leave, you're done, right? So make sure that you, um, you know, that that's not, <coughs> that is not in your contract either because that is, I've seen that a few times and that's just crazy. <coughs> um, but that's, that's the, to me, the biggest red flags is those uh, sort of things. Um, also, understand if it's not in, if it's not written, it's not doesn't exist. <coughs> Excuse me. So the main reason that I got out of my associateship, I only lasted six months, and I got out of my associateship because I was working sixty to eighty hours a week, and the doctor told me if your production is this amount, you're going to get this, and your production this amount, you get this. But it was all verbal. And when I started making these production levels, and I went up to the doctor and I said. Um, my check doesn't reflect the bonuses. Oh, whoa, whoa, what, I meant this, this, and this. I'm like, but that's not what you told me. Well, but that's what I'm telling you now. And that was my naivete, that I didn't have it in the contract. So if they say bonuses, you better have that written down. The bonus, like, yeah, you're gonna, I'm going to give you all kinds of stuff. So when you're, yeah, if you do this, it, it, is that written in the, it's not written in the contract. we get that in the contract? Oh, no, 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 it's just a handshake, man. You and me, we're just, yeah, uh-uh. Uh, not in there, it ain't happening, right? So um, you just you have to kind of push that. Good question, though. <coughs> okay. How did you find your patient base? <coughs> um, I worked my tail off. That's how I found my patient base. Um, and here, I'm going to give you the, the quick way of um, how to get... 30 new patients into your practice in your first week in practice. Here's the quick way to do it, is you're gonna do something called a survey. So you're going to walk around your community, <coughs> businesses, not knocking on homes, but on businesses. You're gonna walk around your community with an iPad uh, that's set up to like notability or something, and a little like stylus, and a boatload of business cards. And you're gonna go into each business and you're going to say, hi, I'm Dr. Rubin, well, those don't give my name. Hi, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and I'm opening up a chiropractic practice down the road over here, and um, I want to know what you think of this area. So you don't ask, you don't tell them about, you know, chiropractic and give them a whole <coughs> two-hour speech about, you know, how great chiropractic is and how great you are. You say, tell me about this area. And they're going to say, oh, this area is really great. I love it. And I live down the road, and I go to this church, and this is a great store over here, and I love this restaurant over there. And then you ask them more about, well, tell me about this. Tell me about your church. What, what groups do you belong in the church? And tell me about the schools. What do you think about the schools? <clears throat> and just write everything down. Even if you're not interested, just write it all down on your iPad. <clears throat> Before you do this, <clears throat> what you really need to do is you need to find some sort of local charity that you're going to support. So, for instance, there I just saw a billboard as I was driving, and it said, you know, um, dollars for Danny or something like that. And it was some kid in local area has leukemia and they're raising money for them. <clears throat> and then this is what you do. You need to be five, your goal is to be 500 people in one to two months. 500, hand out 500 business cards in one to two months. And when you do, after each person, when you're done with them, you say, hey, can I invite you to my open house? I'm having in a couple of months, can I invite you to my open house? And everybody's gonna say, sure. Can I have your business card? You take the business card. One, 20% of all the people that you talk to will say, 
It was really nice talking to you. Did you say you were a chiropractor? Yeah. Do you, do you, uh, my back, and then you start talking about chiropractic, then you'd go into the chiropractic stuff. You don't do it beforehand. You don't be pushy chiropractor like most pushy chiropractors are. You're very nonchalant unless they give you the opening, right? <clears throat> and if they give you an opening about themselves or their kid or their wife or whatever, this is what you say. I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out with me today. That was really sweet of you to provide this great information. As a way of saying thanks to you, I'm offering the complete exam in my office, which is normally like $200. I'm offering for $50. And $25 is to go for dollars for Danny. And they'd be like, you know about dollars for Danny? But yeah, yeah, it's, you know, I'm gonna raise money for them so I can help him with his you know, leukemia, whatever it is. And they're like, holy cow, can I, can I bring my wife too? Yeah, absolutely. And you're, so 20% of 500, so you're gonna have like 30 to 50 new patients lined up in, for your first week. Guaranteed some of them won't show up and that's totally fine. <clears throat> but you'll have 30 new patients in your first week if you do that. So you gotta prepare for a month to two months beforehand is you're walking around your communities and then that's how you get the, you know, and, and then you have your first week and then you have your open house. Does someone that pay, you write down obviously that they paid in advance so that when they come in they don't have to worry about it. At what time do you call them and remind them? Because if they signed up the two months before you even open, right, like that 90 day build out plan, likely they're gonna forget that they did it, so what, what point would you Right, so, so, so excellent question. So when do you remind them is you, um, because you get their uh, email address on a business card, you're now just suddenly saying like a weekly update, you know, oh, the office is gonna be open in six weeks and we're really excited to, you know, invite you to open house. And so this way you, you get them on like a regular email kind of chain. And then maybe like two weeks beforehand, you say, we're just reminding you of your appointment. And then a week before we're just, just to confirm, confirm your appointment, and we, usually what we try to do is confirm it with a yes or no. So make them actually, instead of just saying, just a reminder of your appointment, now you either send an email or even send a text to them you know, to say yes or no. And you, did you do a non-refundable <coughs> for that? Uh, honestly, I didn't take any money at that particular oh. time. Some people take money right at the time. For us, it was like you just you pay us when you come in. But some people take money right at the time, which is great too. <coughs> <laughs> Sorry, one thing off that too, open house, that's, that's your office, right? You're talking about the office? Yeah, open house at the office. So we don't do it in the first week because you're too busy. Um, you do it in the, like the second or third week. And then what you do is you invite all 500 of the people that you invited, that you've met to your open house, aside from the patients that are now patients there, you invite everybody there. And then give some food and you know, have somebody cut a ribbon and stuff. It's, it's fun. And that's what I did for my for my first for, for both my practices. This is what I did, and uh, both times had thirty new patients in your first week. And once you have thirty new patients in your first week, you'll have thirty more new patients because they're all going to refer in all their friends and family. And then you have thirty more new patients, and next thing you know, right, you've taken off and you're seeing hundred a week in the first month. <clears throat> okay, a few more questions. So, best way to get a business loan <laughs> with two hundred thousand dollars in debt. Uh, here's my advice about business loans. Don't do it. Do not do it. Don't waste your time. You don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. Um, uh, my suggestion is to start small. So my first office was 800 square feet for $800 a month. <clears throat> I took credit cards. I, I, I took out four credit cards and I bought everything I needed with those four credit cards and I cut up three of them. 
so I wouldn't spend any more on those. Um, and I, because all I had was $10,000 to my name when I graduated, that was it. $10,000 to my name. And, um, and that, was, that was a huge thing, because uh, there's no reason to start big, just to have this giant, you already have your student loan and start and have another $100,000, unless you're buying a practice, of course, that's a different story. And then it's easy. If you're buying a practice that has patients coming in, then you'll look, anybody will give you a loan. But, um, but if, you're, if you're starting your own practice, don't waste your money. You don't need it. <clears throat> um, worst mistakes in opening up an office? The worst, worst mistake in opening up an office is to... Um, someone asked me this yesterday. The worst mistake is to stop doing the things that work. The number one thing you need to do in your office to make a great office is discipline, is do the right things over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's discipline. Uh, and the worst mistake is to not have discipline. You know, it's, it's to come, you always show up early and then you start showing up later and later. And you always say you're gonna be really super friendly with people and then you start getting less friendly with people. And you always say, I'm just gonna adjust really quickly and then you start spending more time with some people and less time with other people and you have this very big disparity. You just, you have to, consistency, consistency, consistency. So I adjust unless there's an emergency a situation or a big situation or there's, I have a few special patients. But I, I don't care if there's a thousand people waiting in the office or it's nobody waiting in the office. My adjustment is just the same speed. So I just go through da, 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 and then I'm done. So, so don't, in the beginning, the biggest mistake people make is I have a lot of time, I'll just talk to my patients. Don't, get them in, get them out. Because the longer you, you talk, you have that patient there, the more they can expect that to be over and over and over again. So one question regarding <coughs> loan, and like, so I want x-rays and I want CLAs. So how can I even afford that without a loan? Credit card. Yeah, I, so the question was... Just from multiple banks, just go get as many... Yeah, I would just get credit cards to, to force stuff because to get a loan for x-ray... And actually, even better, if you, you get credit cards, but a lot of... Um, when I got my first x-ray, I got it on a lease. I got it on a lease to buy. So in other words, I paid like $200 a month for the first like couple of years, uh, and that was all lease, and then it converted into a purchase, and then I paid another $500 a month after that, until I owned it. So absolutely don't, you know, and the CLA, same thing. You, there's a lease to buy options. There's ways to put that on, to finance it out. So you don't have to buy it all at once. Because I know both those things are expensive, but you don't have to buy, you don't have to actually physically hand out 50 Gs for the X-ray and 10 or 12 Gs for the CLA. You just finance it. And, and all these companies have finance companies that work with you. Would you go all out for your EHR software so you don't have to transfer over everything? Yeah, I, I would definitely, you want to get the best one that you want for you. We use Kyrite, but that, that, which is really a great uh, um, company if you're not going to take insurance. If you're going to use insurance, there's other ones out there. But I definitely wouldn't get a cheapo um, uh, EHR company. One of the best now, for especially for cash practices, is Jane. If I had known about Jane... Uh, is an online version. If I know about Jane when I first was in practice, I would have gotten Jane myself. <coughs> um, are there states or countries that you would avoid as a pediatric chiropractor? No. No, as a pediatric chiropractor, I'd go any, everywhere. Certainly Australia isn't as good as it used to be, but <clears throat> uh, I would say no, I would go anywhere uh, because 
what we got, nobody, nobody has and everybody needs. Um, how'd you get your first patient in the door? I just told you how I did it. It was all from the, um, the survey. That was the number one thing that I did. Um, and one last question is, um, with two docs in the practice, should you hire a CA? Oh, okay, this is a great question. Should you hire a CA right away? Yes, even with one doc in the practice. Never, 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 never be alone in your practice. That's foolish. It is foolish to be alone in your practice. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what some software company says. Oh, you have a CA list office. Danger, danger, danger. Because if you're in that office, and I don't care if you're a male or a female, and whatever person you're working on is a male or female, it's your word versus theirs, and they will always win. Unless you got somebody else there protecting you. So never, never, never. I don't care if you have to hire your mom, your, your sister, your niece, a high school kid. Do not be in your practice alone. That is major, major, major danger to be in your practice by yourself. Um, so, so, okay. So, so the, the, the question is, how do you pay your CA without money? You're going to have money the first week. You're, you're making money instantaneously. I never had a time when I did not have money to pay my CAs. And, I, my, I, and, and also, you're gonna pay yourself. Make sure you always pay yourself. You are number one person to pay. Don't say, I'll defer mine. No, 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 never, 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 never. So you take whatever money you make, you, you create a salary for yourself, <clears throat> and then create a salary for your CA. Even if it's a minimal salary that you say, I'm gonna start you here and go there or whatever, you, you'll, you'll have money from day one. Okay, <coughs> with me, I'm gonna hire my CA before I open yes. training. Yes, yes. How do I pay them for that? How do you pay your CA before? You, well, you I mean. I'm gonna probably hire them a month out. A month out? A month out to do like extensive training. Right, okay. So. That's a good question. Uh, I have never heard that before. Like someone who has, I, I mean, if you have zero money, uh, I would ask like I would ask for either a I'd ask to see if she wouldn't mind working in the beginning and I'll pay you at the end of the month or whatever when, when patients start etc or I would ask my mom or my dad or my best friends give me a quick little loan for a few hundred dollars just so I could give her you know get her going um, that's what I would do yeah but I, I would absolutely um, that here's the here's the key you're gonna be very successful and you're gonna be successful like this so you don't have to worry about, like, there's no worry about money, right? Stop worrying about money because money, money is a byproduct of service. And when you serve way more than you give, then you get abundant money. Money is not a problem. Your student loans will be done like this. Your, your, your mortgage, your everything, bam, bam. You're, you're, gonna be, it's, you're not gonna believe how much money you're gonna make. It's gonna, it's gonna be easy. It's scary now when you have $200,000 of student loans. It definitely is. But I'm telling you, in the real world, that $200,000 is nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Good question. All right, excellent, guys. Thank you so much. Remember, next week, your final exam is C-108.